Let's pray. Father, even in a commissioning service, our prayer is the same, that we pray every single week that you would speak through the preaching of the word, that you would give us ears to hear and humble hearts to receive. We ask that your son, Jesus Christ, would become increasingly more precious to us. So we ask that you would bless the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is all very kind to get to hear from the two Andrews that are both named Andrew and both lived in my basement, and so there's another connection. This is all very kind, and we'll see how well I do. My last SCF was this past Tuesday, and I basically just cried for 90 straight minutes, and so we'll see if I do any better tonight. I've been to over 500 uh, SCF meetings on Tuesday nights, and so it, it's a strange thing when it, uh, when it comes to an end. And so our text for tonight is Philippians. I might as well just get right into it. No more intro because I'm going to cry. I'm going to get right into it. Our text for tonight is Philippians 1, 18b through 26. I know that it's just uh, chapter 2 in the bulletin. That was my fault. I uh, messed up my own bulletin, turned in the wrong chapter. But Philippians 1, starting in verse 18b through 26. This is the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Since the reading of God's holy word, may he write its eternal truth on all of our hearts. At some point in your life, you will have to make a hard decision. Who will you marry? Where are you going to move? Where does the Lord want you to serve? And hard decisions are not fun to make. You have sleepless nights, countless prayers. If this is where you are at, welcome to my past year. Because here is my dilemma. So I moved to Detroit to help plant a church in a city that is quickly rebounding with lots of excitement and energy. Or do I stay in East Lansing, a city that I love, especially as we begin to think more seriously about church planting and campus ministry planting. It was a hard choice because I was torn between two things that I really love. And hard decisions are hard decisions because we feel some sort of attraction to both options. If the decision before me was, do you want to stay in East Lansing or help plant a church in Ann Arbor? Easy decision. Decision's made. I'm not praying. East Lansing it is. But my choice was not quite that easy. So for the last nine months, I have been torn. What do I choose? Both seem good. Now, on a much grander scale, 
the Apostle Paul is wrestling between two good possibilities. Death, which would be to gain eternity, or to live, which meant fruitful ministry. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul can live, which is to be like Christ, which means fruitful ministry, or he can die, which is to gain eternal bliss in the presence of God. Now that is a tough decision. A way tougher decision than choosing East Lansing or Detroit. There's no easy decision there. Now before we go farther, some people always ask, you know, is the Apostle Paul suicidal? Because he's talking about death as gain. And what do we, how do we make sense of that? And, and clearly Paul is not suicidal. He's not depressed. He's not despairing. Nor would Paul sin by breaking the sixth commandment as a way of somehow in reverse honoring God by wanting to be in his presence by killing himself. Paul is not su- suicidal. Not in the slightest. The, the context helps a bit. At the time of the writing of the letter to the Philippians, Paul is in jail And it seems a bit unclear what his future holds for him. He could be released, set free, or he could be put to death at the hands of the Romans. But no matter what, Paul is not going to kill himself. But the Romans might kill him. So Paul is asking a very natural question that one might ask at the end of their life. What's better for the Christian at the end of life? Is it better to live Or is it better to die? But he only has two options in front of him. He can die or he can live. And he can see advantages in both. If he dies, he gets to be with Jesus. That's good. And if he lives, he gets to do fruitful ministry. That's good as well. And so Paul sees advantages in both. And as a side note, this is what made Paul absolutely untouchable as a man. You, you see that the Romans and the, the, the Jews are always trying to crack Paul, but they never could. Because Paul saw every possible outcome as a win in Christ. He's just untouchable. And so the Romans, despite their best efforts, could never get under Paul's skin. So you have the Romans, they're, they're furious at Paul because he is preaching the gospel of Christ. And so they lock him up in jail. And Paul says, that's a win. So I preach the gospel to the prisoners and the prisoner guards. And they're all going to become Christians. Thank you. I say, okay, that's frustrating. Won't put you in jail. We're going to kill you. That's what I, that's what I wanted. You know, to die is gain. Okay, fine. Paul, we won't kill you. We'll set you free. So Paul says, great. That's what I wanted all along because now I can keep on preaching the gospel, which I was doing in the first place. And so it's all gain for Paul. No loss. And this made him an unstoppable person. And if you can develop this sort of mindset, which is the mindset of Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one, that all things must work for your salvation, then you will become an untouchable man or woman. That even your worst enemy can never win because everything they do, even if they do it with evil intentions, works for your good. So it's all good in Paul's mind. He's not frantic. He's not nervous. He just wants to do what is best. And so here's Paul's thought. If the Romans do kill him, there awaits for him a glorious promise in Christ that all sickness and sorrow and weeping and sadness are going to end. That there is a promised day 
When all the saints will not live by faith, but by sight. And we will see Christ, and we will be freed finally and fully from sin, and welcomed into the joy of our master. It's like Aslan says at the end of Narnia, the term is over, the holidays have begun, the dream is ended, this is the morning. The promise of eternal bliss is a comfort beyond all comforts as we navigate this troublesome world. So the question that every believer at some point will face is the question that Paul faces here. If, if I gain heaven at death, and since life is so hard, why not just go to heaven right now? It's a, it's a fair question. I mean, if eternity is at least something like we think it is, then, then why wait? I mean, you got eternal bliss versus the hardship of life. This seems to be an easy choice. But what makes the decision so hard for Paul is that he knows there is still ministry left to be done. He certainly has a ministry here with the Philippians, but also all over the Roman world. He has ministry in Galatia, Corinth, Ephesus. He has young men that he is discipling. You have Timothy and Titus. He has his friends, Priscilla and Aquila. There, there is lots of work to be done for Paul. Churches to be planted. Sermons to be written. Discipleship appointments to be set up. Lots of ministry is left for Paul. Verse 24. It is necessary for Paul to remain because his ministry is going to help others progress and have more joy in the faith. It's necessary. Now, that, that word necessary, at least to me initially, sounds a little dramatic, perhaps even a little arrogant. Especially for those of us that believe that God is sovereign and decisive in salvation. I mean, how, how do we make sense of if God is decisive in salvation and God is decisive in discipleship, why, why does Paul say he is necessary? God is necessary, not, not, not Paul. But clearly Paul is not saying he plays a, a God role. And if Paul is not trying to undervalue God's role, d d doesn't it maybe sort of sound a little presumptuous that he's saying, I'm necessary? I mean, couldn't he have said, how about I send another pastor or another missionary? Or what if I sent to you Timothy or, or Titus, and they can help you progress in the faith? If, if, if you take it in the wrong way, it does sound a little arrogant to say that you are necessary in ministry. But if you take it in the right way, it just means that God actually uses people. That even though God is decisive in salvation and in discipleship, the way that God is decisive is that he gives specific ministry to specific people. And if those specific people are not faithful to their specific ministry, then less ministry is going to happen. So in whatever ministry you're called to do, whether it is parenting your kids at the dinner table, whether it is leading a Bible study on campus or shepherding your elder district, you are more important and you are less important than you think. You're less important because it does all start and end with God. God is the decisive factor in ministry. But you're also more important because God actually uses you. The way that God works is through people. And if you are not faithful to what you are called to do, there will be less ministry. And so what is Paul to do? He has these two options before him. Should he take option one 
which is eternal bliss, or should he take option two, which is to delay eternal bliss for the sake of ministry? And this is not an easy answer for Paul. Verse 23, I'm hard-pressed. I'm, I'm torn. I legitimately do not know which one is better. He is torn between two really good options. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And that's, that's one of the most common phrases in all the Bible. It's maybe not quite on the same level as John 3.16 or Psalm 23. But, but it's close. It's, it's a, a verse that Christians often recite. The verse is most often used when a precious saint is about to die. And this passage is used as a form of comfort. So that as a, a Christian is struggling at the end of life with, with pain or fear or with doubt, there is this incredible gospel promise that death is gain. And that, that's a, a wonderful application of this passage that at death, that all who belong to Christ lose absolutely nothing, but instead gain all that they have ever truly longed for. So this is a wonderful promise of hope and consolation to those who struggle at the end of life. And so I, I don't want to undermine that application at all. But I do want you to notice the context of this verse and Paul's eventual conclusion. His conclusion is that he ought to choose gospel ministry even over heaven itself so that others may have progress in the faith. So while this verse is something about being in the hospital room, the more immediate context is to motivate God's people for gospel ministry instead of being in the presence of Christ. But Paul says that's way better. That's way better, far better to be in the presence of Christ. His conclusion is that instead of going to heaven now, he is going to minister as hard as he can for the sake of the gospel and the lives of other people. In essence, Paul is saying, it is worth delaying heaven if it means that I can keep on preaching the gospel. Or more simply, I will delay bliss for the sake of ministry. It's a drastic conclusion, not an easy one to come to. But Paul is okay delaying ever-increasing eternal bliss if it meant that he could do fruitful ministry. And then, the Lord sees fit to end Paul's ministry and call him home. To die is gain. And so it is all win in the mind of Paul. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And we, we, we get the to die is gain, but, but what does to live is Christ I mean, what does it mean for us to live as Christ? Well, the life of Christ is one of moving away from his own comfort for the sake of others being drawn into comfort. The life of Christ is one of sacrifice for others' joy. The life of Christ is one of complete obedience to the Father so that others might enter the family of God. The life of Christ is one of ministry to others, which just fits the context. The life of Christ here is faithful ministry. I know it's not cool anymore, but when I was in high school, the big thing was to have a WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? So whether you were a Christian or not, everybody wore a WWJD bracelet. 
And the idea was that all people ought to be like Jesus because Jesus was a good, loving, kind, respectful person. And that we ought to imitate his example, which, which is all very good. I wish that more people in my high school would have acted like Jesus. I wish that I would have acted more like Jesus when I was in high school. But the problem with the bracelet is that people never took it far enough. What would Jesus do? How would he live? Yes, he would have been kind and respectful to all people, but he would also give his life as a ransom for many. He would, for the joy set before him, endure the cross. He would die as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. So what would Jesus do? He would do whatever it takes to help bring home all that belong to him. This is what it means to live as Christ. To live as Christ it does not mean that just because Jesus was a living, breathing man, therefore all we have to do is live and breathe and we will be like Jesus. It means much more than simply biologically being alive. That There's a much bigger, a much grander meaning here. To live as Christ. Jesus was the most alive man who ever lived. And again, I'm not talking about healthy body or higher blood cell counts, but, but in the sense of just being most fully in tune with what God has for humanity, just most aware of the working of the Spirit, just, just the most fully alive man to ever walk this earth, that was Jesus. And because he was faithful in doing all that the Father had for him, namely ministering to others, Jesus lived the fullest possible life. To live is Christ is to delay eternal happiness for the sake of the present ministry need. He- heaven's out there. Eternity is out there. It- it's a common reality. And that is a promise that ought to motivate us. But we need to be clear. Heaven is not now. It's not now. For, for sure, he- heaven is breaking through and we get hints of it here and there. But the fullness of it is yet to come. And until that day when it fully breaks through, on that glorious day when Jesus Christ returns, we labor hard like Jesus did, like Jesus lived, for the sake of bringing the gospel to other people. Because heaven is not now, the Christian life is to be marked with fruitful ministry. And this is the reason that I eventually decided to make the move to Detroit to get a little bit more personal. I came to Michigan State 17 years ago, and I had no idea how much I would love it here. It's before my first big football game my freshman year. We're playing Notre Dame. We ended up winning. Her pay good. It was uh, against Notre Dame in 2000, and I I was up all night uh, shaking dry heaving. Uh, I I was just so excited. I couldn't believe that I got to be a student at Michigan State. You can judge me. I I have worse stories too, but we'll save that for the the fellowship hall. I I love this school. I bleed green. I I love Welcome Week when uh, uh, 8,000 freshmen show up from all over the world. I love uh, football games, I love basketball games, I love uh, the ivory-covered halls that we sing about in the alma mater. I, 
I really love the students a lot. I, uh, I love Spartan Christian Fellowship. I think it's because I'm just a big kid at heart, but uh, I love and I just love every aspect of campus ministry. A lot of the things that we do on staff with SCF, most people think we're nuts, but I, uh, I love sleeping on the floors of retreats because it means I get to be with people. I, uh, I love living in a dorm room with my wife and four kids for an entire summer because it means I get to be on summer project, do discipleship. I love staying up late. And uh, I love that SCF, every year we get to see a number of people come to Christ. And uh, we send off into the world, guys like Maxwell and, and Cheese. And when, I don't know, it was a decade ago or something, when Ben Faulkner finally decided to accept the associate pastor position here at URC, and it looked like I would become the campus director, I, I uh, just remember jumping out of my seat like Michigan State made the Final Four because I, I couldn't believe that I would get my dream job. So I love SCF. And I love this church. When I was a student, the majority of my time here at URC didn't have a pastor. So Vanessa and I actually thought about going on staff with Campus Crusade, but I had met Kevin DeYoung once on a retreat and he seemed like an okay guy. And so I thought, well, if this guy comes, then maybe, maybe we could raise our money and come on staff at URC. So Kevin ended up coming here. We picked URC. And besides marrying Vanessa, it's the best decision of my life. I love you guys. I love the members here. I, uh, I love the church officers. I love the feel of this church. I love the, the theological precision coupled with a warm-hearted love for one another. I especially love the staff. And the staff really under Kevin's leadership just had this remarkable sense of camaraderie, love, fellowship. Uh, Jess Schrock, who's our, our, our newest hire, we asked her recently how a URC staff meeting compares with a staff meeting at Bethlehem Baptist. If you know Bethlehem Baptist, they're known for uh, wartime living and not wasting their life. And she said, URC is way more intense. I don't know if she meant it as a compliment, but I took it as one. Uh, I love the intensity of this church and the staff. And so when Dan Miller called me last fall and asked if I would consider leaving Michigan State, and leaving Spartan Christian Fellowship, and leaving University Reformed Church to come help him plant a church in Detroit, I said, Dan, that's very nice of you, but, but no thanks. And the reason I said that is because East Lansing and URC and SCF with all the thousands of blessings that Vanessa and I have here feels a little bit like heaven. Now, before you shoot me as a heretic, no, I'm not talking about heaven in the fullest theological sense, but you get what I mean, that I love it here. And it's just a wonderful place to serve. And Philippians 1.18 through 26 is what pushed me over the edge to eventually say yes to Dan. Because I ought not live for the heavenly moments of the present, but in this present age, I ought to labor hard for the sake of others. I love this place. I love everything about this place. I, I bleed green to the core. But I don't want to ever be in the position where my love for this place distracts me from what I am called to do. The past 17 years at this church have been unbelievable, but for the sake of ministry in other places, we must sometimes say goodbye. And uh, one of the things that I'm going to miss most about being on staff with SCF is the weddings. I'm uh, 
told you before, I like chick flicks. I like seeing people fall in love. And so I love that we do weddings. I know every church is weddings, but doing campus ministry, you get to be a part of a number of weddings. Just seven weddings just this summer. And I love SCF weddings because all of my favorite people get to be there. So you have former students from all over the country that fly in. And there's a wonderful ceremony. And then, uh, then afterwards, there's a big party. There's lots of dancing, lots of smiles, laughter with all my fav- favorite people. But every time around 1030, I get this little sinking feeling in my stomach. I know the party is about to end. And everyone's going to go home, and some of my favorite people are going to go to faraway places. And that's a little bit how tonight feels. That I am uh, now at the final hour of serving as the director of campus ministry here. And it feels like all my favorite people are going away. See, Ben Faulkner, who's in Philadelphia, and Kevin's going to North Carolina. Yeah, former students like Mike Snow in East Asia. I never see Mike. My campus outreach friends are in Charleston, Minneapolis, in the UK. I have a, a senior class that I love, and they're about to move on. Chip Kogan works for a garbage company. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, I, I, had, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> I love you, Chip. And then uh, now I'm going to be in Detroit, which means I'm not going to be with you all. And so I, I somehow I just want to hold on to the past 17 years forever. Just no moving, no goodbyes. This is heaven. Michigan State, Spartan Christian Fellowship, University Reformed Church is all I need. It's just keep it going. Just kind of huddle down. But the truth is, if we hold so tightly to what we have here at URC that we never leave for the sake of others, then we are not going to be obedient Christians. If we just want to hold on to these precious moments that we have as a church at all costs, then we aren't being faithful to the to live is Christ of Philippians 121. Because to live is Christ is to deny present joys for the sake of ministering to others. Now, of course, we need boundaries, we need rest, we certainly need to Understand that none of us are all the Christ. So whatever you're going to do or accomplish all that he did. But, but save that for a different sermon. If you want the fullest, most joyful, most alive and in tune with God life possible, don't act like this is heaven by sitting back and coasting. Start doing ministry. Because there will be a day when death is gain. When the eternal SCF wedding begins and all God's people will be there. That day is coming, and all my best friends from URC are going to be there. And Mike Snow is going to be there. And Ben Faulkner is going to be there. And Kevin DeYoung will be there. But you know what's going to be better about this day to come? The next time we get together, there's going to be Muslims from East Asia that have converted to Christ under Mike Snow that are going to be there. Just got a, an email a couple days ago. Mike said, another person converted to Christ, a Muslim, East Asia now a brother in the Lord. He's going to be there, that brother. There's going to be people from Philadelphia that have been shepherded under Ben that are going to be there. And while it might hurt us here at URC to say it, there might be a few people even from Charlotte, North Carolina. Not many, perhaps a few, but some might even be there. 
And Lord willing, there are going to be some Detroiters. So my new best friends from Detroit will get to hang out with all my old best friends from University Reformed Church. Because to live as Christ means fruitful ministry, it means that there is more to gain. That the eternal wedding reception will be bigger and it will be more exciting if people live as Christ by doing faithful ministry now. Since we are not in heaven, nor are we on the new earth, our charge is to be faithful and do ministry like Christ did. Which, as an application, just means there's a hundred applications of this sermon. And, and most of them are, are not just for pastors. Christians do ministry because we are Christians, not because it is our job. So do ministry in the workplace. Send out missionaries to the 1040 window. Church planting. Ministry as parents to their children. Ministry in the city. Ministry in the countryside. All of these would be wonderful applications to this text. But considering this is my last sermon, as the pastor of campus ministry, uh, my final encouragement to this church is that as a church, University Reformed Church, that you continue to minister hard on the campus. Because if you do that, if you minister hard on the campus, all those other ministries are going to fall into place. You'll raise up people for the 1040 window, and you'll raise up pastors, you'll influence parents, you'll send people into the workplace. Campus ministry is, is the funnel to see all that happen. If you minister hard on the campus, you might just raise up in your church another church planter like me to go to Detroit. See, there, there seems to be something utterly unique about the college experience that makes people so ripe for the harvest. Most of the major mission movements have happened on college campuses. So my encouragement to you as a church, as I am about to leave campus ministry, is that you continue to minister to the campus well. The, the reason that I've been drawn to campus ministry for 17 years now is not just because I'm a big kid that dry heaves before my first football game and has lots of energy. But it's because I've always believed in the vision behind it. That if you can win the college campus to Christ, then you have won the future generations. And so my plea to this church is that you would continue to labor on the college campus. And certainly this applies to the campus staff, to Andrew, to Ryan, to Jess, to Ben Prizer, to Luke Kim. But I hope that this church makes it more than just a staff thing. That the elders would make decisions to expand the vision to around the state. The congregation would buy into the vision to give sacrificially with time and money to see it through. And that this church, while it might be known for a number of things in the future, will always be known for what our name is, University Reformed Church. And frankly, this is me just playing my cards, but Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Midtown Detroit is now officially waiting for you to raise up a team to send us. We've got Wayne State just right down the road, University of Detroit Mercy, a couple miles up Woodward. And so URC, Redeemer is waiting. So minister hard on the campus because other churches need the fruit of your labors. Being on staff here at URC has been one of the great privileges of my life. I, uh, I came to Michigan State, like I've said, 17 years ago, which means that the current freshmen in SCF were two years old when I uh, sat in my first meeting in the engineering building. I've been a student, 
been a church member, an intern, a staff member, a campus director, a ruling elder, and now finally a pastor all at this church. And I have loved every single second of it. And while I wish that I could somehow freeze the moment forever, I can't. And nor should I, because there are churches. You know, I said I didn't say church, but there are churches that need to be planted in Detroit. So the University Reformed Church, the church that I love so much, heaven is not now. It is coming, it is coming, but it is not now. That day will come soon enough, and on that day there will be no more goodbyes, but only eternal hellos. And so until that day, let's minister hard. Let's minister hard at Michigan State. Let's keep sending people to the 1040 window. Let's keep raising up Devin and Taylor Rossmans, more Ben Malbergs to go to the hard places. Let's plant churches and campus ministries in Kalamazoo and in Detroit. And then once we plant those two, let's do a few more. And after that, and after we have lived like Christ by doing fruitful ministry, death will be our game. And at that point, there will be no more moving. There will be no more sending people out, but sweet fellowship and joy forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks for the past 17 years and that it has tasted a bit like heaven. You have been better to me than I deserve, and so I give you thanks. And for all my friends in this room, for all my old friends from University Reformed Church, and for all my new friends from Redeemer Presbyterian Church, we pray for the kind of grace and the kind of fervor that would cause us to delay bliss for the sake of fruitful ministry. And for this to happen, we need your help. And so we ask for it in the name of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.